We're going to head to the US first up this morning. I am joined by New York Times Business Investments Editor David Enrich. David is the author of a new book called Servants of the Damned. The, book's, look, the book looks into the evolution of law firms, particularly one of the biggest in the world, Jones Day, who backed Donald Trump's 2016 election bid. Good morning, David. Thanks for joining me. My pleasure. Let's start with the legal profession in general and how it's evolved over the years. Once upon a time, lawyers were individual professionals working locally, and then slowly it all sort of grew and took off. Yeah, that's right. And the law profession was one where lawyers really regarded themselves as officers of the court and devoted to the ideals of honesty and truth and justice. And that worked well for a time, and but as law firms got bigger and lawyers banded together and began pursuing bigger and more lucrative clients, the I think the ideals of the profession really began to shift, and it became much more about making as much money as possible and accumulating as much power as possible, and much less about trying to figure out the right outcome and the just outcome for the people who were involved in fights in court. David, there were two things in the book that I that I hadn't thought about and hadn't realised the impact that they had on law firms. One was when law firms were able to, to begin advertising their services, mm-hmm. and the second was just the introduction of a publication like American Lawyer. It had quite an impact, yeah. those two things, didn't they, on law firms? Yeah, and I'm I, I'm a bit of an expert on how this affected the evolution of the legal industry in the United States. I, I'm less certain how that if if the exact same trends have affected things in all parts of the world, but in, certainly in the U.S. for a very long time, it was not lawyers were not permitted to advertise. And for anyone who's driven on a highway in the United States in the past twenty years, they can see how dramatic a, a shift that's been. I mean, there there are billboards along highways for lawyers, and probably more than anything else. And you have ads on the radio, on television, and uh, that's something that did not exist until fairly recently in the United States. And it's because of a Supreme Court decision that. Sorry, that's my dog barking in the background. I hope that's not. Uh, it's okay. Uh, it, um, it, that's something that had not existed for a very long time. And one of the kind of ramifications of that was that after a while there, it became possible for lawyers to spend more time talking openly with the media. And that led to the rise of publications in the United States and elsewhere, like the American Lawyer, which began covering the legal industry kind of the same way they would cover Hollywood or a professional sport. So not treating the law as this kind of sacred profession devoted to honesty and justice, but much more about this treating it as kind of a competition with big warring personalities in the pursuit of money and power. And, and that had a really dramatic effect on the way lawyers perceived themselves in the United States. And it led them to kind of treat themselves and their business in a much more competitive, cutthroat way than they previously had. The number of law firms in America exploded during the 80s. Why was that? Basically, it's not that the number of law firms exploded so much as it is the size, right. the number of giant law firms exploded. And it was really a consequence of law firms realizing that to compete in this new world, they needed to get bigger, they needed to have more offices, 
they needed to have more lawyers and they needed to have more clients or at least more clients that were paying huge sums of money for their services. So and one of the consequences of that was that law firms that had for a long time, I think, been a little more conscious about or conscientious about the types of clients and the types of cases they would take on began really becoming much more uh, I guess liberal, for lack of a better word, in terms of what types of cases they were willing to pursue. And so the law firm that I focus on most in this book is Jones Day, which is one of the world's biggest law firms. And it was around this time that they really embraced doing work for uh, clients like R.J. Reynolds, the giant tobacco company. And that was work that in previous years they might not have been doing, but it, it, it really transformed the way not only that one law firm worked, but the way the entire legal industry viewed its role in society. I mean, I was stunned by how much Jones Day was making at one point from uh, tobacco. Was it seven point eight million a month? Was it David? Yeah, it was something like yeah. that. It was it was something like that, and it, it was basically it was twenty percent of their overall revenue in a given year, something like that, was uh, traceable back to a single client, and that single client was a client that was doing a lot of really bad stuff, not just manufacturing products that tended to kill their customers, but also in being very deceptive with the public and with authorities about the health risks of tobacco and the, the addictive qualities of nicotine. And the interesting thing to me about that is not just that a law firm was representing a client that was doing something bad. That is kind of what law firms tend to do. It was that Jones Day, in its embrace of this very kind of risque envelope pushing client, was taking on some of the same tactics that the client took on. So, for example, that meant that the firm's some of the firm's most senior lawyers became essentially paid public spokesmen for the industry. And so they would not just stand up in front of a judge and jury and make, you know, arguments to help their client, but they would also sit down with journalists and go on TV and spread these same very misleading, if not outright false, arguments and really trying to obscure the science that was at, even in the mid-1980s was quite clear about many of the risks associated with smoking and the addictive qualities of smoking and they would get up in on tv or in court or in a speech and really just kind of throw mud in people's eyes so that trying to obscure again this very kind of clear scientific consensus about the dangers and i, I again i think that's represented a real shift in the way most lawyers and most law firms perceived the appropriate role that they would be playing. So a law firm like Jones Day, do they represent clients or causes these days? I think they represent both these mm. days. And, and I think certainly they represent clients, but there's also, and again, to take Jones Day, they are a law firm that at least up at the top and in kind of one of or some of the most influential groups within the firm, they have become predominantly not just conservative, but a, a kind of representative of the uh, the right wing of the Republican Party in the United States, and that means they are pushing very aggressively on cases involving, say, abortion or uh, the integrity of elections and things like that, voting rights cases, and also representing political candidates that that are entirely from the kind of the conservative side of the political spectrum and increasingly are from the Trump or have been from the Trump side of the political spectrum. And that's something that, again, there's a long history in the United States of big corporate law firms, the the, the lawyers of those corporate law firms taking, you know, they have political views and that's fine. There's, and there's nothing intrinsically wrong with a law firm itself 
espousing political views or taking on uh, political causes. But I think that it is, again, it represents a shift in the way that lawyers perceive themselves and the role that law firms played. And it, it means that they're branching from having a big impact on the economy and the regulation of big companies and, and moving into the political sphere in a way that has, I think, often very important and profound ramifications for our in the United States and overseas for our democracy and for our society. So, David, just explain to us a little bit about Jones Day role in the 2016 and 2020 election. Yeah, so Jones Day, shortly before the 2016 election, decided that it wanted to build a practice that was devoted to helping politicians win elected office. And so they they uh, they got a bunch of lawyers who were all Republicans and they so they started this practice and the first client that they took or one of the first clients that they took on was Donald Trump's campaign, which was kind of in its infancy at that stage. And they helped professionalize the campaign and they also really helped uh, kind of help the campaign win credibility and be taken seriously in the Republican Party, and especially on the kind of conservative establishment within the Republican Party. And because Trump was not someone who was viewed by mainstream Republicans at that point as a very serious candidate. And Jones Day and some of its leading lawyers, like Don McGahn, played an instrumental role in kind of telegraphing to the world that this was someone who, if elected, would install very conservative judges on the federal courts and would just generally be a very reliable conservative. And it worked. And that there's many Republicans have attributed Jones Day's work on the campaign as kind of one of the key things that helped solidify Republican support during the 2016 elections. And so Trump wins, of course. And uh and a bunch of Trump or a bunch of Jones Day lawyers who had worked with Trump then get brought into the Trump administration in the White House and the Justice Department and elsewhere. And they have a very important effect on policymaking in, inside the Trump administration and also basically led the way with the reshaping of the federal judiciary, which I think at this point is probably going to go down as one of Trump's greatest legacies or biggest legacies as during his presidency. And and, they, and meanwhile, Jones Day continued to represent his political campaigns and t- represented him in 2020. And there were a lot of lawyers within the firm who, as Trump's rhetoric heading into that election, became more and more incendiary and I, I think really reckless in terms of questioning the integrity of the electoral process. Uh, there are a bunch of lawyers who expressed really grave concerns about whether this is going to really hurt Jones Day's reputation. And but the firm stuck with Trump, and sure enough, in right just as the twenty the twenty twenty election was happening, the firm, Jones Day got involved in litigation in places like Pennsylvania, which was a key kind of swing state in the election, and worked to make it harder for absentee and mail in ballots to count. And that was something that you know this is the middle of the pandemic. There are a lot of places where they were kind of on lockdown still, and. It was something that had, I think, it was intended to make it harder, not just for people in general to cast mail-in ballots, but for Democrats in particular. And the, the, these legal tactics did not work. But I think they, it, it became, uh, it really fulfilled the prophecy that a lot of people had feared within Junse, which is that the work that they were doing for the Trump campaign and for the Republican Party was going to stain 
perhaps permanently, the firm's reputation. And I think that's exactly what ended up happening. Mm. Curious, David, of course, the midterms have been taking place in the US this week. Uh, Donald Trump had said he would be making a big announcement on the 15th of November. We're not sure whether he is going to be making a big announcement now. Yeah. It was anticipated, of course, that would be his, you know, announcing he's going to run for 2024. Do you think he will run? And would Jones Day back him again? Those are both very good questions. I have absolutely no idea on the first question whether he will run or not. And I think most the the consensus here, I think, is that he will run, but I, I, I don't know. And whether if Jones Day will represent him or not is another interesting question. I mean, I've been trying to answer that question for more than a year now. And Jones Day and its lawyers have been just refuse to engage with me on that question. And they kind of deflect when I ask them. And so I don't, I think that they are, they were pretty badly burned wet by the work they did for Trump through 2020. And at the same time, and so I think I think a normal, a, a normal rational person would say, okay, well, they're clearly not going to make that mistake twice. But I think one of the defining traits of Jones Day these days is that they view loyalty to clients as kind of a paramount virtue and they they derive some i think pleasure from kind of defying conventional wisdom and doing things that are going to cause a lot of criticism i think that they view their role as a law firm and their role as lawyers as in, in some cases just kind of standing up to the establishment and standing up to the media and they wear that as a badge of honor so the bottom line is i really don't know what role they will play, but I'm going to be watching it very closely to find out. David Enrich, thanks so much for your time this morning and for the book. Fascinating. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And that book is Servants of the Damned and it is available in stores now. If you enjoyed this podcast, you will love our New Zealand Herald podcast, The Little Things, hosted by me, Francesca Rudkin, and my good friend, Louise Airy. We focus on all the little things that you can do to make a positive impact on your life and to cut through the confusion from the health and wellness industry. Join us every Saturday to hear from the experts for all the tips and advice you need. Just search The Little Things on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts.